family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthy, your host, and we look forward to lots of improvisational conversation, music, some mind-body conversation, and surprises, because they, they find us whether we like it or not. A uh, fascinating book I've been reading called The Order of Time. It's written by a... Uh, theoretical physicist from Italy. Uh, he writes beautifully and lyrically, and he's integrating philosophy and psychology with uh, physics. And it's a fascinating look at time, one of the most mysterious subjects we can contemplate. I'm going to read some excerpts from it. I think you'll find it fascinating. Uh, at 8.30, our guest will be Tammy Wise. She's a Broadway dancer turned mind-body expert and teacher. We'll discuss her new book, The Art of Strength. We will have music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul. We'll open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox. And the only person we could find to wrap up our show will be in, existential philosopher Patrick Carlin. We look forward to it. It should be fun. I'm back from Florida. Uh, I have no sense of time, and that's why we'll talk about time and some other subjects as well. Joining us today, our engineer and co-host, Ron Van Warmer. So fasten your seatbelts and join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Let's get started, Ron. How are you? Good morning, Doug. How are you this morning? Welcome back. Well, I enjoyed uh, lying in bed in Florida. Nice. Um, last Sunday, listening ah. to uh, to the show instead of doing it. Yeah, very nice. Kind of like you and Victoria had a good time. <laughs> we did. We had a very good time. It was a good show. Yeah, we well, enjoyed thank, it very thanks much. Thanks for keeping it going. And uh, good to be back. And uh, uh just a, a couple of interesting things. Uh, I go to Florida every winter to visit good friends, mm -hmm. including one um, uh, who I've known since I'm four years old. Yeah. Uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood, stayed friends, and she's been down in Florida now about 45 years, married uh, with children and grandchildren. Wow. But uh, uh, married a great guy, and we, we have a great time up there. And then a friend I've known since 1964. I met him at tennis camp in 1964. <laughs> You keep friends a long time. Well, I something to be don't. said for that. Oh, I you don't. don't. Um, these are the only. Uh, I have like three friends yeah. from. Uh, well, they go back to teenage and childhood. That's pretty good. And that's pretty good. Um, and uh, interesting thing about travel. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite shows on television. Uh, this is gonna sound a little weird. Uh -huh. One of my favorite shows is called Air Disasters. <laughs> Oh yeah, I love that. It's a great show. I forget. It's like on one of those some one of the smaller cable. They show channels. them on uh, the airplane when you're traveling. Well, yeah, it's 
It's actually, the reason I like it <clears throat> is because it's fascinating. It's really, every hour is a really fascinating detective story. Uh-huh. And they dramatize somewhat the, the, uh, the problems. And then, <laughs> but then it's basically uh, how these, these investigators figure out what happened. Uh-huh. It's not always easy to piece everything back together. Yeah. And they need to do it because they want to prevent that same thing if they can from happening again, obviously. Right. Uh, now, of course, uh, one potential downside of watching a program like that is then when you go fly. <laughs> you think about all those but things. But I've, I've never had a fear of flying. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not scared of heights. I'm also not crazy about heights. Like, if I'm up on a really tall building, I can get a little disoriented. Sometimes looking out, I don't feel – I'm not totally comfortable. But I, I've never had a problem flying. Uh-huh. And like most people, I've, I've been on a couple of flights that – had some issues, but yeah. I've never been injured. But it was interesting because when, when we were taking off uh, a week ago Tuesday, we meaning uh, I traveled alone, but I was w- with folks uh, on this plane, um, I knew that there was weather coming in. Uh, my flight was at 9 a.m. from mm-hmm. Newark, and right around then, a front was coming in that was going to be a sleet and freezing rain. Right. And... I am aware that one of the main dangers that pilots have to look out for is ice on the wings. Because yeah. if you're not getting air circulating through those engines, <laughs> you're not staying in the air. Right. You're coming down. But pretty confident they have this down pretty well now. Yeah. I think and so, so we, we board the plane. And as we're boarding, it, that's when the sleet and the freezing rain start coming in. And it was pretty heavy. I mean, you couldn't see much out the window. And, uh, of course, I'm thinking about some of these uh, air disaster hours I've seen. <laughs> but going out, you know, listen, they've got this down. I'm pretty confident. My concern was that they were not going to let us take off. Right. You're going to sit on the plane for five hours. But then I'm also making an assumption. And, of course, it's not always good to make assumptions. But I'm making an assumption that if they're letting us, they have it down I mean, our technology is so good. Artificial intelligence is so smart that they can—they pretty much have a really good take, not only on what the weather is, but what it will be, you know, over right. the next hour. And I'm assuming they're not going to let us board if they're not going to let us take off. Uh-huh. However, it's really coming down. And now the <laughs> pilot gets on and says, okay, there's going to be a slight delay while they de-ice right. the plane. And I'm going, the old delay all you want. <laughs> You know, because at least a couple of those air disaster hours were, you know, they <clears throat> yeah. failed to get all the ice off. And I had never actually seen them de-ice a plane before. Yeah. Uh, I had a window seat. Uh-huh. So I had a pretty, you know, pretty I, good perspective. I, I got to watch that once when I took my mother to the airport and she was going to be taking off. And in those days, you could actually go to the gate with your uh, with the person mm-hmm. who was flying. And while she was boarding, I was watching them de-ice the wings. Well, <laughs> I I, may, I don't remember hmm. watching them do it, but I'm 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 I have the, I, I'm over the wing, and I've got the uh, I've, I've got I've got the end seat, you know, the window right. seat. So it's a perfect spot, you know. Yeah. And what it is is this: it's a it's a, a like a van comes in this truck, and it's got um, sort of like you see the telephone workers when they're up on a line. Um, the the worker who's going to spray is in this little cherry picker type yeah thing. cherry picker type enclosure and they raise him up and now he's got a spray gun uh-huh. 
and it's like a video game. <laughs> and uh, and he sprays this orange liquid all over the plane. It was kind of cool. It's uh -huh. psychedelic, you know. But I'm thinking, great, spray away. <laughs> uh, so he does his spray thing. Now we we're starting to go uh, go off, and we're going slow now. But now there's a big line of planes waiting to take off. Right. And for a brief second, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's cold out there. And the longer we sit here, the better chance that something could freeze up. But again, I'm making an assumption. They've got this down pat. They know the exact know timing of these things. So we're waiting to take off. And now it's not just freezing rain, but it's kind of turning into snow. It's kind of white. <laughs> and we're f facing the opposite way of the planes taking off. And the planes taking off are just parallel to us. Mm -hmm. And you can hear them, but you can't even see them at this point. Wow. Take off. And it's slow going, understandably. And I keep thinking to myself, I would hate if they if they call us back. Ugh. Because the weather was such that this was going to be like this for like a day and a half. So if you're not taking off, you're there for a day and a half. Right. We Finally, it's our turn. We take off. <laughs> It was a very smooth takeoff, and we get there no problem. But I was curious. When we, when we landed in Fort Lauderdale, I asked one of the officials looking people, I said, gee, I guess we just got, did we just get off in time when they closed the airport? He said 10 minutes after we took off. Wow. Wow. So all those planes online to take off that I was watching, most of them never made it. Oh. So that was very one of my favorite words, serendipitous. Yes, it was. Boy. Um, and uh, pretty cool. Um, so then it, they, they made up for it on the way back when the weather was perfect and we had to sit on the plane for an hour and a half while they <laughs> waited for fuel. Ah. I'm saying, wait a minute, why, why don't you have your fuel? What, what? <laughs> it turns out that the airline doesn't have employees that fuel the plane at right. least spirit airlines doesn't and spirit is a discount airline and i found out why <laughs> um they um they hire a service company uh -huh. to fuel the plane and they mm. were short-handed they <laughs> said and <laughs> we're sitting time. there for an hour and a half waiting for fuel wow so it wasn't weather that was a problem it was in human incompetence getting the fuel Anyway, good to be back. Well, good to have and you back, too. when we travel, time gets a little strange, right? It does. But I've been re I started reading this book before I took off for vacation called The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. And I love these kind of books because I am absolutely fascinated by quantum theory. It's, it's, it's the most successful scientific theory of all time, never been proven wrong. Mm -hmm. And yet even the great experts in quantum physics will tell you it's mysterious to them. Yeah. So it works, but but it's still mysterious. And um, obviously, I'm not trained as a physicist, and I'm not trained as a chemist or a biologist, so when I read a book like this, first of all, I only read it if it's really written well mm -hmm. uh, and not just overly technical. And then I just skip the overly technical parts because I'm interested <laughs> in the philosophical and psychological aspects of it. Aspects <clears throat> of this. Sure. And in this book, that's rather easy to do because while there are technical parts, most of it integrates philosophy and psychology because, as Carlo Rovelli points out, you have to if you want to understand time. Yeah. His point as a uh, 
a theoretical physicist is that, um, I mean, I'll give some of the, the, the overall themes, that, that number one, the only way we can truly understand time is from a subjective perspective. And this is all based on, started with Einstein, who in 1905 uh, freaked everyone out by proving that time is relative. Right. There's no such thing as objective time. Yeah. Uh, we think that way because we run our personal lives, our, our community lives, our civic lives, now our global lives, because we're in the age of globalization, with pretty standardized clocks. So is it relative to each individual? Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, the... And we're not just talking psychologically. We know that psychologically time can speed up or slow down. Right. But it turns out that on a pure scientific basis, this was Einstein over 100 years ago, proving scientifically that the faster one goes, the slower time goes. Right. Now, we're going at relatively, we live at relatively such slow speeds relative mm -hmm. to the speed of light, that for the most part, we don't feel that objectively. Right. But the fact is that they've done this in an experiment. They took these atomic clocks that are really accurate to like a you know, hundredth of a second. And they put one on the ground. Uh-huh. And they took an identical clock and they put it up on a supersonic jet. And... They flew the thing for a while and then brought it back, and the two clocks were not equal. Right. It, the, the, the clock that was going at more you know, supersonic speed went s more slowly. Even, even uh, if you're in an airplane, time goes a little bit slower than if you're Correct. on the ground. The, the famous um, thought experiment is of the, twin, the twins. One is uh, astronauts, and one's on Earth, like at Mission Control, and the right. other one let's say, is traveling in space, let's say, for five years and uh -huh. comes back. They're not the same age anymore. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. So that's pretty weird. That is weird. Now, what Carlo Rovelli does in this book, The Order of Time, first of all, he's a beautiful writer. He writes very lyrically. Um, and he's Italian, but obviously he's writing, this is, uh, I believe he writes in English, not just translated in English. So I'm going to read some sections. Okay, yeah. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it, and then we'll, we'll talk a little about it. But in a way, the, the, I mean, when I read a book like this, it's, to me, it's, 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 yo it, it's yoga for the mind. Uh -huh. In other words, <laughs> it stretches our minds past where it's normally going, and if we do it right, it's a good exercise. Right? Uh -huh. It's not that suddenly we understand something. Because, as I say, even Carlo Rivelli admits he doesn't totally understand time, so what chance do we have? Right. But you certainly get insights, and if I read the book, I'm not going to get the same insights you get, and I'm not going to find the same parts interesting as you're going to. Right. Which is the way it should be. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the factoid, if you will, that I came away with, which I kind of knew but didn't know as directly as he puts it, could uh -huh. be said in a very brief sentence, which is the title of chapter six. The world is made of events, 
not things. Now, that doesn't sound like a very dramatic sentence. It has huge implications. Hmm. Um, I know from studying quantum theory philosophically that at the quantum level, there is no such thing as a thing. Hmm. And quite frankly, at our biological level, there's no really such thing as a thing. It's an illusion that our minds make up out of convenience. Um, now we could say, well, wait a minute. I can distinguish between my jacket, <laughs> which is draped over that chair. Mm -hmm. It's a two things. That chair is a thing. I can identify it. Mm -hmm. It's distinctive. Well, I see it as a motionless object. Of course, it isn't. That's just because of the limitation of our brains. In fact, that chair consists of trillions of subatomic cells and atoms and molecules whirling around at ridiculously fast speeds. Right. We just don't see it, and we just don't feel it. That doesn't mean that it isn't true. We can't experience it so, in that way. And the fact is that uh, it's... It, that well, let's go into. Let's let him describe it. <clears throat> when Robespierre freed France from the monarchy, Europe's ancien regime feared that the end of civilization was nigh. When the young seek to liberate themselves from an old order of things, the old are afraid that all will founder. But Europe was able to survive perfectly well, even without the king of France. There is, nevertheless, an aspect of time that has survived the demolition inflicted on it by 19th and 20th century physics. Divested of the trappings with which Newtonian theory had draped it, Newton proved that um, you could pre predict the order of things. Mm -hmm. You can predict the order of motion. And the, and the answer is, yes, you can, up to certain speeds. Hmm. Einstein proved not that Newton was wrong, but that he was limited. Divested of the trappings with which Newtonian theory had draped it and to which we had become so accustomed, it now shines out with greater clarity. The world is nothing but change. None of the pieces that time has lost puts into question the fact that the world is a network of events. On the one hand, there was time with its many determinations. On the other, the simple fact that nothing is. Things happen. Huh. The absence of the quantity time in the fundamental equations of physics does not imply a world that's frozen and immobile. On the contrary, it implies a world in which change is ubiquitous. Without being ordered by time, without innumerable events being distributed in good order, the events of the world do not form an orderly queue like the English. They crowd around chaotically like Italians. It's written by an Italian. <laughs> change always happens this happening is diffuse scattered and disorderly but it's happening clocks that run at different speeds do not mark a single time but the hands on each clock change in relation to the others the fundamental equations of physics do not include a time variable but they do include variables that change in relation to each other the entire evolution of science would suggest that the best grammar for thinking about the world is that of change, not of permanence, not of being, but of becoming. Hmm. We can think of the world as made up of things, we do, of substances, of entities, of something that is, or 
we can think of it as made up of events, of happenings, of processes, of something that occurs, something that does not last, and that undergoes continual transformation, that is not permanent in time. The destruction of the notion of time in fundamental physics is the crumbling of the first of these two perspectives. It is the realization of impermanence, not of stationary or motionless time. Thinking of the world as a collection of events, of processes, is the way that allows us to better grasp and comprehend and describe time. The world is not a collection of things. It is a collection of events. The difference between things and events is that things persist in time. Events have limited duration. Mm. A stone is a prototypical thing. We can ask ourselves, where will it be tomorrow? Conversely, a kiss is an event. It makes no sense to ask where the kiss will be tomorrow. <laughs> the world is made up of a network of kisses, not of stones. The basic units in terms of which we comprehend the world are not located at a specific point in space. They are, if they are at all, in a where, but also in a when. They are spatially, but also temporally limited. They are events. On closer inspection, in fact, even the things that are most thing-like are nothing more than long events. The hardest stone, in the light of what we have learned from chemistry, from physics, from mineralogy, from geology, from psychology, is in reality a complex vibration of quantum fields, a momentary interaction of forces, a process that for a brief moment manages to keep its shape, to hold itself in equilibrium before disintegrating again into dust a brief chapter in the history of interactions between the elements of the planet. If the world were made of things, what would these things be? The atoms, which we have discovered to be made up in turn of smaller particles, the elementary particles, which we have discovered are nothing other than the ephemeral agitations of a field, the quantum fields, which we have found to be little more than codes of language with which to speak of interactions and events, we cannot think of the physical world as if it were made of things. It simply doesn't work. Hmm. What works instead is thinking about the world as a network of events, simple events and more complex events that can be disassembled into combinations of simpler ones. A few examples. A war is not a thing. It's a sequence of events. A storm is not a thing. It's a collection of occurrences. A cloud above a mountain is not a thing. It's the condensation of humidity in the air that the wind blows over the mountain. A wave is not a thing. It is a movement of water, and the water that forms it is always different. A family is not a thing. It's a collection of relations, occurrences, feelings. And a human being? Of course it's not a thing. <laughs> like the cloud above the mountains, it's a complex process where food, information, light, words, and so on, enter and exit. A knot of knots in a network of social relations, in a network of chemical processes, in a network of emotions exchanged with its own kind. For a long time, we have tried to understand the world in terms of some primary substance. Perhaps physics, more than any other discipline, has pursued this primary substance. But the more we've studied it, the less the world seems comprehensible in terms of something that is. It seems to be a lot more intelligible in terms of relations between events. Mm. It's interesting because in this age of digital 
media and globalization, one of the reasons there's, we're all so stressed out, we like to blame it all on Trump, I get it. <laughs> but he's yeah. a result, not a cause. Um, it's beautiful that we are becoming more and more connected through digital media. It's also wreaking havoc on our brains mm -hmm. and our minds um, because we're still mammals and mammals are territorial and suddenly there's all these no more people in our space. And the fact that it's virtual space doesn't mean that our brains and minds don't treat it virtually the same as physical space. Right. And so it's great that we can see photos of our friends halfway across the world whenever we want, instantaneously. It's great. It's great that we have access by pressing a computer key to all the information that human beings have ever collected. But it's also wreaking havoc on our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it's because we tend to think of things as actual things. And as much as we can say the only thing constant is change, we don't like change. <sighs> We don't like it because we're not educated to deal with the fact that that's all there is. We yeah. want permanence. We want things to be normal. We want things to be as they were. It ain't happening. It's never happened. Now. That's time. It happens at different paces. And we happen to be in a period of history where change is exponentially speeding up. Much of that due to the fact that the media we use are computers, driven by computers, which work at a faster speed than our brains do. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to, if we don't want to drive ourselves totally insane, we're going to have to figure out how to take advantage of this artificial intelligence, because it offers huge advantages, while at the same time getting off the screen and slowing our brains down. Because as we're going to talk about with our guest at 830, um, some of the greatest insights that human beings have ever had have been by slowing the brain waves down. That's what contemplation, meditation, and intuition are all about. So we're in a really fascinating time. Mm. Uh, the book I'm reading from is called The Order of Time. The author, who writes beautifully, is the theoretical physicist Carlo Rovelli, who's head of the quantum gravity group at the Centre de Physique Theorique of Marseille University. Oh, I well, know you like to hang out there. I, there all the time. I love their uh, their football team sucks, by the way. <laughs> Notre Dame just the, the pep rallies there are really confusing. Yeah, it is tough. It's that time thing. It's that time thing. Oh, it's almost time for a break. I don't care. I'm going to read more. Oh, please, because I haven't. I don't still fully understand time. Neither does he, and I mean, he's an expert in it. Uh, you've given me a, a, an insight. Okay. Um. Let's turn to the question with which we begin. What is real? What exists? All right. The answer is that this is a badly put question, <laughs> signifying everything and nothing, because the adjective real is ambiguous. It has a thousand meanings. The verb to exist has even more than a thousand meanings. There are so many different usages of the verb to be, different ways in which we can say that a thing exists, a law a stone, mm. a nation, a war, a character in a play, the god or gods of a religion to which we do not belong, the god of the religion to which we do belong, a great love, 
a great hate, a number. Each of these entities exists and is real, in a sense different from all the others, right? Right. Characters in novels are real. They are real characters in novels. But they're not real in the same sense that our buddy is who lives down the street. Right. And yet, when we ask the question, what's real or who am I or what exists, we're making an incorrect assumption that that question makes sense uh-huh. in and of itself. <laughs> it's a totally ambiguous question. How, how do you ask that question? How do you get an answer to that Well, the first thing he's pointing out is understand the limitations of grammar. Because if we get caught up, if we don't loosen ourselves from the limitations of grammar, then we're stuck in answers that don't work. Mm. The grammar of many modern languages conjugate verbs in the present, past, and future tense. Mm -hmm. It is not well adapted for speaking about the real structure of reality, which is much more complex than that. Grammar developed from our limited experience before we became aware of its imprecision when it came to grasping the rich structure of the world. What confuses us when we seek to make sense of the discovery that no objective universal present exists, there's no such thing as a thing, Mm. is only the fact that our grammar is organized around an absolute distinction, past, present, future. And that is only partially accurate. It's somewhat accurate here in our immediate vicinity. The structure of reality is not the one that this grammar presupposes. We say that an event is, or has been, or will be. We do not have a grammar adapted to say that an event has been in relationship to me, but is in relationship to you. We must not allow ourselves to be confused by inadequate grammar. There is a text from the... Here's a, a good way to... Put it. Sometimes we have to get our feet back on the ground, right? <laughs> yeah. And here's, here's the example he proves, okay? Thought experiment. Um, we have a friend in Australia. Mm-hmm. We're talking to her on the phone. When, from our perspective here in Woodstock, right? Mm-hmm. She's situated below us. Right. On the, on the globe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we could prove that. <laughs> right? Yeah. But now put her, put ourselves in her shoes. Right? From her perspective, she's we're we're sitting on the globe below her. That's right. Who's right? Both right. Of course. From our perspective. From our individual perspective, we're both right. Yeah. But how could but it's a contradiction. How could we both be beneath each other or above each other? <laughs> and yet we are. Yeah. Because there's no objective space and time. Um, we're always in that situation. We're struggling to adapt our language and our intuition to a new discovery, the fact that past and future do not have a universal meaning. Instead, they have a meaning that changes between here and there, and that's all there is to it. I was always fascinated by the fact that Native Americans refuse to have their pictures taken. Mm-hmm. They think it's, it's like the work of the devil to try to capture movement and freeze it. They were onto something. <laughs> See, taking photos is wonderful. It's wonderful that we can take a photo and then go back to it. But we screw ourselves up by forgetting that this is an hallucination. Yeah. We look at it, we say, yeah, oh, I remember that moment. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. 
<laughs> because we're look we're not looking at that photo from the same perspective as when it was taken. That's right. In fact, while we think we're the same person, even if it's the next day, the fact is we've had a lot a lot of not only emotional experience since that picture was taken, but pretty much all of the chemicals in our body have changed. Yeah. So can it be said that it is a moment it is a frozen moment in time? That would be a mistake. Yeah, it would be. Because there is no such and thing. And that's what we think of it as. Right. And that's fine. We get away with it. But where we don't get away with it is when we forget that we simply are creating an illusion that's convenient. There's mm. nothing wrong with that. We do it all the time. Right. But we forget that it's an illusion. And that's when we get screwed up. Because guess what? Um, we give, by not remembering that, we give not only events but other people too much power over us. Mm-hmm. In the world, there is change. There is a temporal structure of relations between events. He's not saying time doesn't exist and space doesn't exist. Of course they do. They just don't exist objectively, and they don't act uniformly. We cannot understand time and space without understanding our own perspective on it and the fact that when we're communicating with others, they have a different perspective. Right. As a form of convenience... We assume that there's no distinction. It makes life easier. On one level, but it makes life more, um, not more complicated. We don't like complication. It makes, it wreaks havoc on us when we forget that it's an illusion. Yeah. And and the the most basic way we forget that is about our own impending death. Yes, well. Freud was right about that. We are constantly obsessed with our own death. And one of the reasons we get obsessed about it is because we don't accept the fact that there nothing exists but change. Mm-hmm. And nothing exists forever. And we don't exist forever in some, in this form. And I'm rate. not saying that after we die physically, we don't exist in some other form. I'm open to that possibility. But we make up all stories about that because we're because we don't want to deal with the fact that this body's going to is exactly. going to disintegrate. I, my my mother-in-law never said when I die, it was always if I die. <laughs> <laughs> right up to the end, if I die. All right, we'll get to our That's break. That's the here way we the, feel. We'll get, we'll get to our temporal break here in a second, but I just want to read uh, one more section here. Physics helps us to penetrate the layers of the mystery of time. It shows how the temporal structure of the world is different from our perception of it. It gives us the hope of being able to study the nature of time free from the fog caused by our emotions. Mm. But in search for time, advancing increasingly away from ourselves, we have ended up discovering something about ourselves, perhaps just as Copernicus, by studying the movements of the heavens, who ended up understanding how the earth moved beneath his feet. Perhaps ultimately the emotional dimension of time is not the film of mist that prevents us from apprehending the nature of time objectively. Perhaps the emotion of time is precisely what time is for us. I don't think there's much more than this to be understood. Hmm. We may ask further questions, but we should be careful with questions that it is not possible to formulate properly. We have all found, we have, uh, when we have found all the aspects of time that can be spoken of, then we have found time. 
Will we be able to understand things better in the future? I think so. Our understanding of nature has increased over the course of centuries, and we are continuing to learn. We're glimpsing something about the mystery of time. We can see the world without time. We can perceive with the mind's eye the profound structure of the world where time as we know it no longer exists. Hmm. Um, So I guess what he's coming to is that it's worth contemplating time. It's worth, from the physicist's standpoint, to learn more about it. But what he's come to the impression of is get rid of the notion that somehow in the future we're going to discover the objective reality of time, space, and who we are. Hmm. It's not the way the universe is set up. Yeah. And that's where quantum theory so fascinates me. Because at the quantum level, there's no objectivity and there's no such thing as a thing. Hey. But there are events. Right. There are movements. And there and, are probabilities. And we've created this system of measuring events. Right. And there's no, we understand why we do it. It sets up some conveniences. Mm-hmm. So it allows us to not only have friendships and love relationships, it allows us to arrive somewhere at the same, <laughs> relatively the same time. Right. It allows us to have communities that are somewhat functioning well. Yeah. And, and, and it's fairly new in terms of universality because, I mean, in, in, in times past, every town had their own time. Mm-hmm. They had their own clock and their own time. And it was different from the time uh, in, the, you know, 100 miles away. Or they used a sundial. Right. But, of course, the sun is hitting the earth in different places and therefore time. <laughs> time. But it turns out that's the way it works anyway. We think we can objectify anything because we're so bright. And we have science and we have logic. What we have is a really, really juicy mystery. (laughs) And the best scientists that I have read not only understand that, they celebrate it. Hmm. At the same time, they want to learn more about it. Uh At the same time, they know (laughs) that it's an unquenchable, most likely unreachable mystery. We still learn more about it. Yeah, that's the interesting. I was going to say conundrum. It's the interesting, uh, um, uh, beautiful contradiction that at the same time we do well to accept the fact that things we thought were understandable are really mysteries. At the same time, (laughs) it's our responsibility almost because of the brains we were given to learn more about how things actually are. Uh Uh-huh. Um, anyway, The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli, written beautifully. And again, what I recommend with books like this, when I come to a technical part where he starts with formulas, and there's not much of it in this book, move on. <laughs> okay. Because he understands that, that what he is telling us as somebody who understands all of those chemical, physical, and mathematical equations mm-hmm. is at times just as much a mystery to him as it is to us. Aye. Fascinating stuff. We'll come back and talk more.
talking about how time is not about the movement of a hand on a clock or the movement of numbers on our smartphones. Uh, time is a, is some a network of events. And one of the subjects that Carla really goes into in the order of time is entropy, which is a fascinating concept. Mm. It's one of the, it's the second law of thermodynamics. It's how our universe works. It's how the earth works. It's how we work. Entropy is basically disorder. Entropy is a process of events whereby things go from, be, go from being more organized to less organized. <laughs> and at, when we first hear that, we go, no wonder I'm always psychologically nervous or upset or stressed because everything seems to, I want things ordered. Right. I un, we understand that. But let's just think as a thought experiment for that. Let's assume with the stroke of a magic wand, we could order the universe and have it be very predictable. You have just eliminated music, art, <laughs> philosophy, creativity, and thinking. Yeah. Because without entropy, you wouldn't have any of those things. Um, the fact is that while, yes, moving from order to disorder, which is the way the universe works, can wreak havoc on us mm -hmm. and cause tragedies, the fact is that it also opens up the gate for creativity, novelty, new ideas. What Gus is going to do in a few minutes is just play <laughs> music for us, right? Because if nothing, if everything was predictable and there was no such thing as distinctive change, how could you have music? There wouldn't be much new, how would there? How could you have art? How could you have new ideas, new insights? Um, so on that basis, um, we're going to play a song. Ah. And I wasn't expecting to play this song. I was going to be play something by a different group, a very famous group, because my friends in... Um, down in Florida, were excited about going to see this group in concert when I was down there. And I was going to play that group, my favorite song of that group. And then I started reading about it. We'll discuss it in the next hour. And it turns out that the song we're going to play was its influence, not from the lyrics, but because of the drum beat. Now, Gus has joined us, who's a brilliant musician and plays keyboards and, and sax. And I don't know that you can explain this to us. We're gonna re I'm going to read the, some of the technical stuff later. But um, it turns out that the song we're going to play later was influenced by the song we're going to play now by the Rolling Stones. And it also turns out that this song by the Rolling Stones, while it was chosen because of the drum beat, is one of the best songs about revolution. Ah. And I doing some research at three this morning because I woke up early. <laughs> um, it turns out, because I remember 1968 very well. I had graduated high school. I was prepared to go to Columbia, which had been totally a riot zone right. that spring. <laughs> and my mother was, as I've told before, got elected to be a delegate for Eugene McCarthy, the peace candidate in 1968. We were at the Chicago Convention and saw the police riot out there with, dem with beating up demonstrators. More chaos. I saw firsthand then the young um key reporter of cbs uh, dan rather get beat up by uh security <laughs> guards for asking questions uh -huh. it was a revolutionary time and um 
as revolutionary as was here, it was even maybe more so in France when not only were students taking over, you know, uh, uh, university classrooms and streets to protest. They were protesting greed, capitalism, um, and, uh, uh, you know, policies. And but but in France, 11 million workers went on strike and there were riots in factories. Mm -hmm. It got so crazy that the president of France, who had been a key general in World War Two, Charles de Gaulle, flew out of the country for three (laughs) hours, fearing for his life. Hey, they they got a lot of stuff going on in France now. Yes, they do. uh, But nothing like burning cars. Sixty eight. Nothing. Yeah. And Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were influenced by that. And that's why they wrote street fighting man it's this is a song of political revolution but the reason the great musician whose song and group we're going to play when we come back he chose he said he was influenced by the song because of the really unusual drumming of charlie watts so when we play it i'm going to recommend listen to the drumming because that's what influenced the song we're going to play next And it's very unusual, and it's perfect for revolutionary fervor. And if you don't think we're headed towards a revolution in this country, (laughs) hopefully it won't be a violent one. Uh, You haven't been paying attention. Uh, You can see it bubbling up. Uh Um, Hopefully it's going to be a green revolution. Hopefully it'll be a cool revolution. That remains to be seen. But it's happening. So here's one of the... And and, and what I read today, which blew my mind, is in summer of 1968... Uh In the same month, August, not only did Street fight, Fighting Man come out, but so did Revolution by the Beatles. Huh. Where John Lennon, I think, wrote his best line. It was in the air. What was it? My favorite John Lennon line. Talking about revolution. You say it's the institution. I say you better free your mind instead. Uh-huh. So anyway, here, the same month, we get Revolution by the Beatles and we get Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones. We're going to focus on the drumming. Okay, now we're going to go back to the beginning because now I'm going to read from Wikipedia, which Wikipedia, by the way, is the reason I have any optimism left <laughs> because Wikipedia is um, written by all of us and it's barely edited except by us, the public, and yet it, it's been shown statistically to be as accurate as the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm-hmm. Curious, right? 
Okay. The song I was part of play because my friends were going to go see Fleetwood Mac. Uh-huh. Now, they're in an interesting spot because they fired Lindsey Buckingham, who's my favorite <laughs> member, and they added Mike Campbell, the great, great guitarist from Tom Petty. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, it's a little different, but they're playing their same songs and um, always one of my favorite groups. And my favorite Fleetwood Mac song is Go Your Own Way. Uh-huh. And I was always like, I'm always blown away by the way Lindsey's guitar plays against the drums. I've never, I don't remember ever hearing that before. But here's what Wikipedia says. Inspired by the drum feel of Street Fighting Man, Buckingham sought to incorporate a variation of that groove and go your own way. On Street Fighting Man, the drum beat alternates between the tom-tom and the snare drum, which Buckingham wanted Mick Fleetwood, the drummer from Fleetwood Mac, to play on Go Your Own Way. Fleetwood Mac's producer took notice of Buckingham's enthusiasm as he demonstrated the drum part to Fleetwood. Hmm. I remember watching him guide Mick as to what he wanted. He, he was so animated, like a little kid playing these air tom-toms with his curly hair flying. Mick wasn't so sure, this is Mick Fleetwood, wasn't sure that he could do what Lindsay wanted him to. Hmm. But he did a great job and the song took off. Fleetwood would ultimately come up with his own variation of the Street Fighting Man groove where he played across the tom-toms while letting the bass drum play the middle beat. Now, I don't understand that technically. <laughs> Can you help us out here, Well, Gus? that was perfect. You can't, can't put it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go back to the beginning. And Of course, uh, it starts out with um, Keith's amazing, you know, he could cut a chord. He could give a cutting sound to a chord like no one else. Uh, and then the, when the bass, when the drum comes in, I guess what's happening is... Um, let's see. Alternating between the tom tom and the snare drum in, in, in a way. Let's let's see if we can right. hear it. Let's see if we can. And going back to Carla Revelli in time, okay, <laughs> one of the things, there's a lot of things that make this song great. But one of the things is, can you clearly understand what Mick is saying? Uh, I think I understand. I mean, you get the, but I can't understand every word. And that often, an artist will do that purposely because it, in my mind, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it gets us out of literally translating. In other words, the power of this song, in which he, they're trying to capture the revolutionary fervor mm-hmm. of what was going on in France in 1968. Um, if, if anything is disorder, it's revolution. And yet that's the only way things actually change dramatically. And a revolution doesn't have to be a violent physical revolution. There are internal revolutions in our brains. Mm-hmm. It could be a cultural revolution. It could be a psychological revolution. It could be a spiritual revolution. A revolution is a significant change. Uh, but, of course, we learn from the order of time, that's all there is, is change. It's just a question of degree uh-huh. and how we react to it and how we absorb it. But what they do in this song, it's so cutting. And the fact that his, he's, he's almost purposely slurring some words, I think, is powerful <laughs> because it's not just about each word means this. 
Uh-huh. It's about how the words play off the guitar, which plays off the bass, which plays off the drums, which, right? Which gives it the feel. Which gives it the, the Of feel. revolution. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So we'll go out with it. When we come back, we're going to get some jazz from the Sultan of Sonic okay. Soul. And then we're going to open up the Woodstock Roundtable Jukebox some more. And then we're going to, we're going to play Go Your Own Way, where mm. I think there's even a more dramatic tension between the drums and the guitar, which is what Lindsay wanted. And the reason he wanted it is because he was so angry at Stevie Nicks, who left him. <laughs> anyway, human beings can't live with them, can't live without them. We'll be right back. Doug Grunther here, and in addition to being the host of the Woodstock Roundtable, I'm a licensed real estate associate broker with Berkshire Hathaway Nutshell Realty in High Falls. At my real estate website, you can search all available properties in Ulster County and the surrounding area, plus lots more information about real estate. The website is DougGrunther.NutshellRealty.com. I'll be glad to help you with any real estate question, whether you're looking to buy or sell in our area. Again, the website is DougGrunther.NutshellRealty.com or email me, Doug at NutshellRealty.com. WDST Woodstock, live, local, and independent, 100.1% homegrown. So uh, I mentioned I've been going out of Florida every year for about 45 years to visit, mm-hmm. particularly a close friend I grew up with. And when I used to go down there up until about 15 years ago, it was a cultural desert. I mean, you know, I'm a foodie, and mm-hmm. I couldn't find a free-range chicken, yeah. you know. Uh, you couldn't find a health food store, forget it. Now you can find Valley. We have so many farms and farm markets and health food stores and um uh, access to incredibly fresh foods we're spoiled mm. um, and gladly so and one of our sponsors spoils us about as well as anybody and that's cheese louise um, as those of you know who've been listening to the show or visited there on route 28 between kingston and woodstock as great as the cheese selection is good enough reason to go um, there's a lot more going on there about specialty foods because rick and sam they bring in the most amazing foods we're talking about uh, organic Italian pastas. We're talking about an array of olive oils and aged vinegars, second to none. And if you think all olive oils are relatively similar, guess again. Olive oils are distinctive from one, uh, from one another as much as wines are. Um, not only are Spanish wines slightly different from Italian wines, slightly different from Greek, excuse me, olive oils, different from uh, Greek olive oil, different mm. from California olive oil, but olive oils change from region to region and they have dozens of olive oils there um you will find every day sam makes that amazing chicken matzo ball soup made with furry yeah. uh, murray's furries murray's all natural uh, free-range chickens you will find specialty items like uh, authentic italian espresso beans um creme fraiche chestnut cream you'll find smoked fish including smoked sable smoked whitefish smoked salmon 
uh, locally smoked trout. New items coming in all the time. Lots of samples to try. Organic chocolates. I could go on. Um, it's not a huge store square footage-wise, but oh, everything in there just shines. If you love food, you'll love Cheese Louise. 940 Route 28, between Woodstock and Kingston. Open today, closed Mondays. Uh, our favorite hardware store remains the only rock and roll hardware store on the planet. Marbletown True Value. Route 209 Stone Ridge. It's our favorite hardware store for many reasons. Number one, they expertly combine two elements. One, they are locally owned, so you're going to get really personalized local service, and yet they will compete price-wise with the big box stores. And since we're still in the teeth of winter, it's nice to know that they have all the accessories we need to keep the fireplace and the wood stove working properly, that they have humidifiers, very important this time of year, because, you know, we heat up our... Our, our places where we live, and it gets very stuffy in there, and that, that can wreak dry, and it can wreak havoc mm-hmm. on our, um, uh, you know, on, on our mucous membranes and our sinuses, and they have humidifiers in all sizes and price ranges there. But Marbletown True Value, in, in addition to being a great hardware store, is a great, fun, general store with lots of products you might not expect to find, like walking sticks and... Um, uh, bamboo brushes and kitchen utensils and they have uh, wonderful all-natural cleaning products that are biodegradable mm. they have lamps and lighting fixtures and storage containers and all na- uh, and banana leaf baskets that are great for storing things you'll love it marble town true value route 209 in stone ridge this is the woodstock roundtable <laughs> doug runther back from vacation glad to be back ron van wormer expertly keeping control of how the computer so that we stay on the air and uh, co-hosting with me today. Joining us now, the Sultan of Sonic Soul and esteemed emeritus member of the Woodstock Roundtable, Gus Mancini. How are you, Gus? Oh, fine. Just fine. And uh, now, how does how do the change of seasons affect your playing, if at all? Here we are in the dead of winter. Does that How does that affect the way you you feel and play your your instruments i'd say m- more in an emotional way but not really physically mm. the heavy yeah. air of summer doesn't uh, have an impact on uh, not at all you know really? if you go into like whatever that zone is or whatever you want to call it you know um you really uh, the weather doesn't bother me whatsoever mm. you know if it's hot I just cool myself down, you know. It's cool jazz, <laughs> cool, it's cool jazz, jazz in the summer and hot jazz in the winter. There you go. <laughs> well, what do you have in store for us today? Well, this is called Walk Tall, and it's um, a Cannonball Adderley song. Mm. It's a big band arrangement. Uh, my online teacher is Eric Marienthal, who's had many Grammys and played with everyone in the world. So this is his band, like, doing a, a, a tribute from a tribute CD of his. So you're going to hear a second saxophone I'm going to be playing, uh, playing along with him and some improvisation as well. So for those who've never heard our show before, and by the way, this show will be on a new podcast network in about a month. Mm. We'll be telling you more about that. But cool. um, the um, uh, we're going to hear uh, digitally what you, you know, what your teacher and his band recorded, right. and then you're going to play along with it live. Exactly. I like this idea. Me too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
beautiful yeah. and powerful really nice. and a nice antidote to the cold really winter nice. weather <laughs> out there. I, I love the uh, saxophone and the saxophone. Right. That was really nice. Yeah, that was the toughest part. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> he has really great website because um, he's all over the world, so sometimes he gets back to you and he's like in a, a hotel room somewhere. Yeah. So this one was more like, okay, you know, I know when it's Gus playing. So he wanted to kind of pull me back so I'm playing more of the melody and not just dancing all over the place. Mm -hmm. So he said just to do that and kind of just listen to his part and then just, you know, uh, lock into what he's doing in terms of even his reverb and stuff like that. And this is why I love the digital world with all of its problems and people getting addicted to being on the screen and Mm -hmm. us being sped up to the point of getting stressed out. And that is here. Let's just think of what just happened. Right. You know, we're talking about time before. We just heard... I was going to say in real time. There is no real time. We just heard, (laughs) which sounded like everything happening at the same time. On one level, it was. But on another level, most of what we had was was done previously. Right. And recorded on digital. And then you played live along with it. It all came out at the same time. And yet, it was pieced together with things that were happening around the world. So... It's we. I mean, we take it for granted, but there's nothing normal about it, and it's that's what no. makes it great. Oh, I'm, absolutely! In fact, I found out because I have like an iPad, so I can actually get the lessons and just put them on my TV. You know that kind of ah. thing, which is really nice. And what's the website you were mentioning? You're talking about? Uh, it's uh, called Artist. I've forgotten the second part, but if if you look up Eric Marienthal, it's, you know he does saxophone lessons, but they will have like great guitar players doing lessons and stuff like that. So if you put a uh, lessons website and what's his name? Uh, Eric Marienthal. Marienthal. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, uh, Ron, if you could find that website, we'll post it. We will look for it. Okay. We'll post in case people out there want to check it out. Yep. So I played Street Fighting Man before because I was fascinated to find out that. When my friends were going to see Fleetwood Mac, now first of all, update a little bit. I'm a big Lindsey Buckingham fan, and Lindsey Buckingham was fired from the band. Well, there's one <laughs> not, of the not bands. The first time, I think. One of the band's great um, badges of honor is that a lot of their great music was created out of the tension and angst coming out of the group, right? Mm-hmm. Because when they Fleetwood Mac started out as a blues band with uh, mm-hmm. John McVeigh, the, the bassist, and Mick Fleetwood, the uh, the drummer being Fleetwood Mac. And then they bring in these, basically these two folkies, <laughs> uh, Lindsey Buckingham, right, and Stevie Nicks. And so there were five members. Now, so here you have two lovers, young lovers who, who are folk musicians, Stevie Nicks and uh, Lindsey Buckingham, who could play rock, but he played with a folk style. He, fin- he, play- he finger picks. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had the original bass player, John McVeigh, who was married to Kristen, Christine McVeigh, who's their keyboardist, songwriter, and vocalist. Mm-hmm. And Mick Fleetwood, who was married to someone not in the band. Well, <laughs> they became hugely successful. And Rumor is one of the most successful albums of all time, and deservedly so, in 1977. At the time they were doing this album, Stevie Nicks had left Lindsay. Mm their relationship but they were still in the band together so that wasn't working out too great and christine mcveigh and john mcveigh were getting divorced yeah and mick fleetwood was getting divorced from his wife yet they were they were a band so to say that there was tension their genius was taking all that angst and turning it into great music so here's from wikipedia go your own way is a song by the british american rock 
band Fleetwood Mac from their 11th studio album, Rumors, released as its first single in December of 1976, uh, written and sung by Lindsey Buckingham. It became the band's first top 10 hit in the United States. Rumors went on to sell over 40 million units, by the way. Not bad. Um, like most track off Rumors, the album, none of the instruments were recorded live together. So Gus just did that for us. Mm-hmm. Like most track off Rumors, they were, um, the tracks were instead arranged to a series of overdubs. Lyrically, Go Your Own Way is a breakup song directed at his bandmate and former lover, Stevie Nicks. <laughs> and if you don't hear anger in this song, you're not paying attention. But he turns it into magnificent music. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, what I found so interesting is that what inspired not only his anger towards Stevie Nicks, who he wanted to let know he was angry through this song, he was inspired by the drum feel of Street Fighting Man, which is a song about the revolution going on in Paris at the time, where all hell was breaking loose. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, all kinds of revolutions. We have political revolutions. We have personal revolutions. Yeah. We have relationship revolutions. We have artistic revolutions. All this is coming together in this song. Now, the, like what we've learned from the Beatles is that as much of, as great geniuses as those four musicians were, they needed that fifth Beatle, the producer, yeah. like George Martin. Well, Ken Kayat, who I'm not familiar with, was Fleetwood Mac's producer, and he was at a big part in making this song so powerful because the band, none of the parts were done at the same time right, or in the same place. What I love is this. So we're going to go... Can we go to the last minute of the song? Because this is from uh, Wikipedia. In the final mix of the song, the kick drum became so overpowering at the end, it created a pumping effect with the rhythm guitar so out of control from the, because of radio compression that... It created something which they could call the lucky mistake. Hmm. They never would have. They never could have created this on their own. And I'll never. When I listen to this song, and I love the power of this song, right? Mm-hmm. The guitar, the cutting, and you can hear the influence that we played before in Street Fighting Man, right? But at the end, Mick Fleetwood does something. He breaks something, and I don't. Now I'm just discovering for the first time that it was kind of a mistake <laughs> and it was overwhelming it almost distorted the whole song but they were able to save it through editing so let's hear the last minute and see if we can hear that place where the the kick drum becomes so overpowering all right You know what? You know, you know what the guitar. The, the, first, of all, that guitar sounds like to me angry swarming bees, <laughs> which perfectly captures where yeah. Lindsay was at at the time, directed at his bandmate, <laughs> and yet 
Stevie Nicks has this one of the most ethereal, uh, you know, voices uh-huh. you could ever hear. I mean, the, the the combination of all the musicianship and emotion, anger, angst, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Remember their their, uh, their follow up album was called Tusk, uh, which didn't do quite as well, and it cost way more money to make. Mm. I think at the time it was the most expensive album ever made. There's some drum things on that that are just phenomenal. Well. The guitar work, I always love the guitar work. And listen, you can hear them play it live, and Lindsay just kills it live. But what makes the album track so unusual is it's actually the editing of six different solos that he did at various times. Hmm. And so the genius of the producer is really evident in how the guitar work comes. So let's start at the beginning. And I was always, just like with Street Fighting Man, I always was both enamored and disoriented by the way the drum comes in. This song, mm. uh, like Street Fighting Man, it starts with some very, very um, uh, sharp, cutting, razor-like guitar chords, and then a drum that pl- comes comes in, and it's a little, to me anyway, a little disorienting until mm. you finally get into their rhythm. Let's see, let's see if we hear it. Go your own way. 
Right. It's one of those powerful things. And and then when you throw in the emo- the emotion that th- that they were going through, all yeah, breakups and angst and and anger. it's never ended. And it never ended. And then finally, they <laughs> fired Lindsay. And Lindsay had a, a serious heart attack huh? uh, a few months ago. Had open heart surgery, and uh, it damaged his vocal cords. The surgery. Hmm. They, they hope he recovers. Great guitar player, great artist, great songwriter, and a great group. And yeah. now they're still great in a different way. But um, well, just just amazing <laughs> stuff going on there. And, you know, here we we're, we're talking about time before. And this is back in 76 when we had much less sophisticated digital editing. And yet that song was pieced together from parts that were done at different times and different places. All on analog tape. So what the hell are we talking about time? You know, it's being ordered. Yeah. And regular and moving at a constant rate. What are we kidding? (laughs) Uh, At any rate, uh, let's... Let's leave it with Woody. Anyway, it's time for a break. The bumper sticker. What are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a break. She knows her mind all right, your Auntie Griselda. She says she knows my kind, she might maybe so. Oh yeah, she's raised you right, your Auntie Griselda. You only know the things she wants you to know. I know she's having a fit, she doesn't like me a bit, no bird of grace ever lit on Auntie Griselda. Her style, your Auntie Griselda She couldn't but just smile and do it for free So righteous making fudge, your Auntie Griselda So proper judging others over her tea You look just like her, you do I know by looking at you That you've been listening to your Auntie Griselda (laughs) 